Got up at 5.30 and I was still late. <laughs> How does that happen? This morning we're going to continue on in our series, Bible Peeps. And that's not peeping in the Bible, peeking, I guess you say here, peeping we say in England. Um, <laughs> peeping, yeah, <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> peeking. <laughs> Our Bible peeps were looking at various characters in the Bible. Really, it's a character study and seeing what we can learn from their lives, their experiences that we can apply to our lives. This morning, we have a, a, a pretty interesting one. All the ones I've done so far, I've received from you. Thank you for those. Uh, this morning, we're, we're going to look at our Bible peeps is a nameless and silent woman. There's no name, and she doesn't say anything in the Scripture. And it's one that kind of piqued my interest, so I chose it. She is at the very distant edge of society. She's a cultural outcast, marginalized. But before we get to there, I want to begin by taking you on a journey, and it's not a pleasant journey. So let's start with a word of prayer, and, and, and I've got a story for you. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time that we come together. I thank you again now. As I come to share this message, Father, would you empty me of me, fill me with your Spirit so that the words that come out of my mouth are not my words, but your words. And Father, open up our ears, our hearts, our minds to what you would teach us this morning. I know this is a difficult one. So prepare us to ask the right questions, to seek the right knowledge, and to respond to you in the right way. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this, this story is a fictional story, but it is based in fact. And sadly, the part of the story that is factual is the darkest part of the story. Like I said, it's about someone who is marginalized. Let's call her Annabelle for the sake of a name, Annabelle. Annabelle was born in rough circumstances, never met her dad. Her mom was uh, an addict addicted to both crack cocaine, heroin, alcohol. And the world that, that she lived in was a dog-eat-dog dog survival of the fittest. You did whatever you needed to do to survive, and you did whatever you needed to do to survive, no matter how grim and how dark that might be. At the tender age of two years old, Annabelle's mother hired her out to a pedophile ring for drug money. That's the true part of the story. The pedophile ring used her to make movies. The damage caused to her body, permanent. By the time Annabelle was seven, she was a child porn regular. And child porn is a pretty lucrative business, and she earned good money for her mother's drug habits. At around 14, though, that dried up because she was not young enough anymore. So she joined her mom on the streets. And then one day, Rudy became a fixture in mom's life. There had been men that came and went in mom's life, but this time, this, this fellow Rudy came, and he seemed to be a permanent fixture. He stuck. Rudy was a low-life bully, a violent, alcoholic drug abuser. He constantly abused Annabelle's mom, and he constantly abused Annabelle. At 16, she could take it no more. And she left, ran away. She ran away from home, took to the streets in a different city, 
to finance her own drug addiction. Street life is rough, but she was used to rough. She had grown up with rough. Beatings, robbery, extortion, abuse were all part of normal life for Annabelle. She fit in well with the girls who were there. They were all from the same kind of background. They were like sisters, and they looked out for one another. And a couple of them took her in, and she shared a, a two-bedroom apartment in a low-rent area of the city. And then one day, she met a man on the street who was different. He was a street evangelist. She had met many street evangelists in, in her work, but this guy was, was different. He would come on a regular basis and, and talk with the girls. Often he would bring coffee, maybe a sandwich. Sometimes he'd bring hygiene products. One time he came with, with warm clothing for the girls. He was smart enough never to get in the way of business. He would talk, but mostly he would listen. Listen to their stories. They called him the preacher man. Preacher man seemed like the real deal. And there was something that attracted Annabelle to preacher man, but not in a bad way. She started to spend more time with him, talking with him. And eventually she discovered that, that preacher man too himself was a broken person who had a past, who had a history of abuse. He had experienced significant abuse in his life. He had also sought to self-medicate, to, to live with the wounds and to live with the pain. But through the ministry of someone, he had discovered healing in a, in a recovery program, a 12-step recovery program. Annabelle had never even considered recovery. She was absolutely certain that nothing like that could possibly work for her. Her pain was too deep, her hurt too complete, it was just too much. And even though she loved her mom, she couldn't get over what her mom had done and what her mom had allowed Rudy to do. After some time, though, this relationship developed and she softened to the idea of recovery. And then one day, she and one of the other girls went with Preacher Man to a church service on a Saturday morning in a church right in the neighborhood where, where they would walk the streets. And she liked it. She felt accepted by the people in the church service. She felt a lot of them were just like her. They were broken people. They were hurt people just seeking recovery. And eventually, Annabelle joined a recovery program, accepted Jesus as her Lord and Savior, and her life was turned around. Now, it gets better. She and Preacher Man began a relationship. It was hard for her at first. She couldn't, tr she, she couldn't trust anybody, not even the girls on the streets, her, her sister. She just had grown up in, a, in an environment where you could not trust anybody, and she absolutely, most certainly would not trust a man. But over time, she learned to trust Preacher Man. She, he was the real deal. And eventually, they got married. Annabelle went back to her hometown, found her mom. After some years, her, her mother, too, was rescued from addiction. She moved in with Annabelle and, and her husband, praise God. Now, I'd like to tell you that they all lived happily, happily ever after, but... but that was not how it was going to be. Preacher man had always wanted a family. 
But because of the damage to Annabelle's body, she couldn't have children. And he began to get resentful over the fact that she couldn't have children. And she began to get resentful over the fact that he was resentful. And then there was hurt and anger. And their marriage started to come apart. There'd be fights. Some fights were, were violent. And then came the fateful day. Annabelle came home from work early and found preacher man in bed with her mother. Devastated, Annabelle packed up her stuff and left. Even though mom and preacher man begged her to stay, we can talk about this, we can work this out. We don't know what happened to Annabelle. Last we heard, she was back on the streets in another town. Her mother, however, Ellie, she straightened out her life. And to this day, she works helping street people get straight. As far as we know, she never saw Annabelle or Preacher Man again. Now, I'll tell you that story to set up where I want to go in the Scripture today. This morning, as I said, our Bible peeps is a woman who remains nameless and silent. She's found in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. If you've got your Bible, turn there. If not, I put it in the notes, and it'll be up on the TVs. Now, most of you know this account. It's the account of the sinless, sorry, sinful, nameless, silent woman, Jesus and Simon the Pharisee. And our Bible peeps this morning is the woman. She is the focus of this teaching. Now, the difficult part of this teaching, I've preached in this passage of Scripture many times, the difficult part of this, this teaching is to stay focused on the woman, which is why I've given you this previous story. It's too easy to slip into Jesus and Simon and the lesson that Jesus is teaching Simon. We're not going to touch that this morning. We want to focus in on this nameless woman. I like to think of her as Ellie. So Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. I'm reading for the New Living Translation. I'm going to read the whole passage, and then we'll, we'll see what we can learn. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard that he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thought. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher. Simon replied, Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, 
You didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown, shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said amongst themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. All right, let's do a little bit of detective work here. See what we can discover about this woman. And I'm doing this so that we focus in on her and not the lesson that Jesus is teaching Simon. So it says, when a certain immoral woman, so certain, we know that she was well known. It's, it's that lady. There's a certain person. It wasn't just an immoral woman, a certain immoral woman. Immoral. She was involved or had been involved in something that was not morally right. Woman, she's a female. From that city, heard he was eating there. From that city, so she was local. Now, we don't know what city this is, but our assumption, we know that it's in Galilee. It's probably Capernaum where Jesus was based. So it's from that city, heard, so she was in the know. She knew what was going on. He, Jesus, she knew who Jesus was, was eating there. She knew who Simon was. And where he lived. She bought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. She was not poor. She had access to wealth. And then further down in verse 39, it says, When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Therefore, we know that her moral failing was well known. Everybody knew about it. So that's what we know about our unnamed woman. She's that lady. She's that person. Now, the reason that I told you the first story was because I don't want to do a disservice to this woman. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're like me, in the past, when I've read this account, I would always paint this woman in my mind as the unwilling victim of circumstances and the man. And anytime I read a, a, a passage, you know, that, that explains this, it, it always comes from that perspective. She's probably a prostitute. Maybe her husband died. It, you know, she's forced into this lifestyle, and she's just a victim of the man. Poor thing. I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure about that that, that is the case. And I, and I think to view it that way may do a disservice to her, and to Jesus. So let me plead my case, all right? One of the things I like about this series is I want you to think. After we did Esther, I had quite a response from a lot of people. Are you, are you sure, Pastor Mike? I want you to think. You may not agree with me, but I want you to think about it. So let me plead my case. First, this lady is not hurting for cash. She's not on the streets trying to make ends meet. She may have been at one time, but she isn't now. We know from other passages of Scripture, there was another time when Jesus was anointed with oil, and in that one, it, it, it said that this expensive and rare perfume, it says in, 
in this passage twice that it was expensive and it was rare, that would be valued at around a year's wages. Now think about that. If, if you're online, wherever you are, right here in North Texas, I, I did a little research. The average year's wages around here is $65,000. So she's got an alabaster jar of perfume valued at about $65,000 in today's terms. She's not hurting. She was making some good money to be able to go down into the storeroom and pull that alabaster jar of, of perfume worth a year's wages off the shelf and, and head on out to Jesus. She's not somebody who is hurting. Secondly, if she were a victim per se, I think Jesus would have addressed that with Simon and the other men in the room. The story would have, would have gone along the same route. You know, her sins are many. Oh, and by the way, Simon, the reason that she's a sinner is because men like you don't take care of her. You don't take care of the widows. You don't take care of it. You should be doing something. Jesus don't go there. All he says is that her sins are many. He doesn't hedge the fact that this lady is immoral and she's a sinner. He emphasizes it. And then third, why is she weeping so vehemently? Now, I'm going to use some conjecture there. It's not simply that Jesus has rescued her from something. I mean, this is a, an outpouring of emotion that is going on here. I don't think it's, it's just that Jesus has rescued her from something. He has. Your faith has saved you. He says that to her. Your faith has saved you. But there's more. I believe he did something of great value that we must not overlook. He freed her from something. He rescued her and he freed her. Those are two different things. He rescued her from the circumstances of her sin and he freed her from her sin. Freed her from the guilt and the oppression of shame. No wonder she's sobbing. A weight has been lifted from her that she was unable to bear. I don't know what her story is. Maybe she's like Ellie. And has got such heinous things that have gone in her life that only Jesus can lift that weight. You know, freedom is, is, is so precious, right? We talk about it all the time here in the United States. You see it on flags. You see it on posters. You see it on shirts. Freedom. And quite rightly, I mean, this country earned its freedom, fought for its freedom. People died for freedom. Don't know who they were fighting, and that's inconsequential. <laughs> we have a constitution that, that guarantees and guards our freedom. But you don't need bars to be a prisoner. You don't need oppression to be a prisoner. You can be physically free and yet spiritually and emotionally in prison. Conversely, Kairos, we, we see people who are physically in prison, in prison and spiritually and emotionally free. I believe this poor woman had been in a prison of guilt and shame. Everybody knew who she was. And Jesus set her free. And maybe someone here today or someone watching online is in prison.
Not physical prison, but a prison of guilt, a prison of shame, an emotional prison, a spiritual prison. prison. And my prayer for you today is that you would be set free. Jesus set this lady free, and I believe Jesus wants to set you free also. So I want to share three keys. Key is a good word. To freedom that, that we can learn from this unnamed woman. And this is right in your notes. Key number one is humility. If you want to be set free from guilt and shame, you need humility. She came to Jesus in humility. She didn't care who saw her or what they thought. She came to Simon's house and people are, are watching this immoral lady go in. She's carrying this alabaster jar of perfume. I'm sure there was an, an aroma all around her. She's walking through the streets, and she goes into to the Pharisee's house, the holy man's house. People know that Jesus is in there, and I'm sure there are people that are looking at her going there thinking, what is she doing? Who does she think she is? It was a lose-lose situation. She's either going to see the holy man or she's going to see Jesus. Who does she think she is? After all she's done. And she goes in, and no doubt Simon and his friends are the same. She comes in the door. It's like, seriously? What are you doing in my house? He doesn't say it, but I'm sure the first thing that went through Simon's head was, who invited her? Get her out of here. She kneels behind Jesus at his feet. She didn't care who saw her sob. She's sobbing. I mean, gosh, I've cried. I've never cried enough that it would wash somebody's feet. I mean, that's a lot of tears coming off of this lady. And then she used her hair. That's not fair. She used her hair to dry his feet. Now, ladies, your hair is pretty precious, right? You take a lot of time getting that just right. Can you imagine using it to, to, to wash the dirt off the bottom of somebody's feet? That's humbling. She completely humbled herself before all, kissed his feet. You know, I wonder how many people miss out on the blessing of knowing Jesus because they are too proud. They are too worried about what other people think. And maybe they've been in a, in a service before and, and had an invitation to come down and, and this is your opportunity to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior and haven't got up out of their seat because they're too worried about who would see them coming down because you're now admitting you're a sinner and you have need. More concerned about what others think than the freedom Jesus offers to those who come to him in humility. Pride will keep you prisoner. Key number two, Honesty. Lies will keep you prisoner. Denial will keep you prisoner. Deceit will keep you prisoner. Sometimes we put on this facade. We want people to think well of us. We might not lie, but, but, but we put on a facade that's not really who we are. And we don't want to take that down. We don't want to admit that maybe we're broken. Maybe there's something wrong with us. Maybe we did something wrong. Maybe we need forgiveness. Oh, no, no, no. I remember talking to a pastor one time, an ex-pastor. 
You've been involved in an affair. And what got me when the conversation with the guy, there was no remorse. There was no repentance. And he didn't want anyone to know because he had an image to uphold. That's really strange. I don't think God's interested in your image. He's interested in your humility. Self-righteousness will keep you a prisoner. Number three, this is the hard one, healing. Kind of sounds like duh. Healing. Accepting Christ's healing and forgiveness. That is learning to let it go. This, This can be a tough one. True restitution has three elements to it. I think I put this in your notes. Yes, true restitution, there are three elements to it. The first one, it has to be unconditional. Why is it unconditional? Because it isn't dependent upon you. It is a gift for all who sincerely ask for it. And, And I heard it in the song. I love the way the Holy Spirit works. When we believe that our righteousness is found in our good behavior, we are a prisoner to that righteousness. We're always trying to earn God's favor. Nothing wrong with trying to earn God's favor. There's nothing wrong with with living to be right. But when you see your righteousness as something that comes from you, it's not right, it's wrong. Your righteousness comes from Jesus Christ and nowhere else. He is our righteousness. And it is unconditional. It's not if you do this, it's not if you do that. When we accept that our righteousness is a gift bestowed on us that we neither deserve or earned, we find freedom. The second part of restitution is that it must be complete. When the Lord forgave us, forgives us, it is complete, it's not partial. Sometimes I get from people, you know, they struggle with sin. They struggle with things that they've done in their lives. And I'll say, well, if you ask the Lord for forgiveness, yeah, I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Well, then why are you struggling with this? Well, I think he can forgive this, 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 and this, but not that. That's too bad. That's too ugly. That's too evil. That's too dirty. I think he can forgive these other things, but I'm not sure that... I, that He will forgive this. You know, when you do that, you cheapen the Lord's sacrifice on the cross. When He died on the cross for you, it wasn't conditional. It wasn't partial. It was complete. It was for all sin, for all time. Here's the thought, you know, what I did is just too bad, too evil, I'm too dirty, what I've done is too bad, I don't deserve forgiveness. You're right. You don't deserve forgiveness. Nobody deserves forgiveness for anything we have done, no matter how small we might think it is or how big. You see, the difference between this no-name woman and Simon, and I don't want to get into this too much, is that Simon was self-righteous and didn't think that he needed forgiveness. She knew she needed forgiveness. When we do not accept the Lord's forgiveness, we cheapen His sacrifice on the cross. And the third one, it is conclusive. Once you have it, it is done. It is done. 
I think our nameless lady struggled with this one. Why did she seek Jesus out on this occasion? She goes into this house, she cries, she wipes his feet, she pours perfume. She doesn't ask him for anything. She's not asking him for healing. She's not asking him for forgiveness. She's not asking him for anything. So I kind of wonder, was this simply a response to an unrecorded event that happened earlier? I believe it must be. I believe Jesus has already forgiven this woman, but she is having difficulty accepting his forgiveness. So she goes back to him. It's like, I need some more. I need some affirmation, maybe, Jesus. And she takes a gift for him, this perfume in gratitude for something that has taken place. And what does he say to her? This is key. He says, go in peace. Now, if you remember in Scripture, there's another nameless lady that has an encounter with Jesus, the adulterous woman. And at the end of that passage of Scripture, what does Jesus say to her? Go and sin no more. He doesn't say that to this lady. Maybe it's the same lady. I, I don't know. It, it, maybe it's the same lady. We don't know where this happens in the timeline. So he says to this one lady, go and sin no more. But to this lady, he says, go in peace. And it's as though, in, in my mind, as I read through this, I think he's telling her, off you go. You're free. It's done. And we don't need to keep doing this. Your sins, your faith has forgiven you. Go, go in peace. It is done. My forgiveness is absolute, it is complete, and it is irrevocable. It's not conditional on your past behavior. This is the wonderful thing. It's not conditional on your past behavior, and it's not conditional on your future behavior. All the wonders and the richness of God, the things that we don't understand. God knows every little thing that you're going to do. On the day that you came to Jesus and asked Him for forgiveness, He knew every stumble that you were going to fall over or fall into, every trap, every valley that you were going to go in. When you asked Him for forgiveness, He already knew about all of those things and took care of it. Now we live it out. His, con His forgiveness is not conditional. You are free. Now go in peace. Flip. Where are you, bud? You come up and noodle for us for a minute. It's an English term. I don't know. Do you say noodle? You do. Good. I like you. <laughs> I want to bring us to a close and take us to communion, but... I think about the mom in our story, Ellie. How does she and how do we respond to what we learned today from this, this nameless lady? Because her response is our response. Three things. First, we accept the Lord's forgiveness and freedom. You don't resist Jesus. When he says, I want to forgive you, and you're ready to come and say, please forgive me, he says, come, come to me. We accept his forgiveness and his freedom. 
You know the reason I called her Ellie? The Greek word eleutheros is one who is not a slave or one who ceases to be a slave, one who is freed. Second response. This extends out to our earthly relationships. So we seek forgiveness from our Father in heaven, and He grants forgiveness. Now, what do we do with that forgiveness? We offer it out to all those who have come against us, who have hurt us, and who we have hurt. We are to ask for and offer forgiveness to those who have wronged us and those we have wronged. And it's exactly the same. It is unconditional, it is complete, and it is conclusive. I forgive you. You are forgiven. There's no condition. You're forgiven if I forgive you in the way that Jesus Christ forgave me. He knows that I'm going to fall. He knows that I'm going to stumble. He's forgiven me anyway. I forgive you the same way. And it's complete. Well, if you just hadn't done this, I mean, and it is conclusive, it is done. And when we receive forgiveness, it's exactly the same way. But sometimes restitution can't be made. Annabelle's gone. Ellie never sees Annabelle again. Sometimes we can't offer forgiveness. So what do we do in that situation? Pray. Pray for opportunity to make restitution. Ask for, for forgiveness, knowing that it may never happen. And ask God to give opportunity. Please, God, if you could give me opportunity to offer this forgiveness to this person. And sometimes the person that wronged us is gone. Or they don't accept that they wronged us, which is often the case in abuse situations. What do you do there? We offer forgiveness regardless, knowing that it may not or cannot be received, which leads us to the third one. We seek healing by living in gratitude by serving the Lord. You know, the Lord will never waste our pain and our hurt. He never wastes our pain and our hurt, even if it is self-inflicted. When we give it to Him, He will use it if we let Him use it. And we need to ask Him, God, would you use my pain? Would you use my grief? Would you use my hurt? Would you use my guilt? Would you use my shame? And we offer it to Him by dedicating our life to bring light and love and grace into other people's lives. Ellie couldn't fix what happened between her and Annabelle, so she spent the rest of her life bringing light into other people's lives, other Annabelles, other Ellies. And she lives her life with that pain. She can't get rid of it. She knows it's good with God. I'm going to bring God's light into as many people's life as I possibly can. And that's what it's about, isn't it? Each and every one of us is a broken person. Each and every one of us is in need of grace and forgiveness. And each and every one of us has opportunity to offer 
grace and forgiveness to those who have hurt us and to those we have hurt. And each and every one of us has opportunity to bring light and love into somebody else's darkness. That's what I want my life to do. Amen. If this, if this message has, has touched you, touched your heart, whether you're online or you're here, well, not if you're online, I want to invite you to have an opportunity to, to pray with someone. Don't let pride get in your way. Randy, what's your name, young lady? Sarah and Josephine. I had to struggle that for that for a second. If you would like to come and pray, maybe you just want to come to the altar and say, God, thank you for forgiveness. Or if you'd like to talk to someone, if you maybe you've got a question about what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to accept Jesus' forgiveness? They are here for you to come down and talk with. You can do that right now. For the rest of us, can I have those come forward, please, that are going to give out the elements of communion? this is your opportunity if you want to come to the Lord if you want to just come and pray or if you'd like to come and, and talk with someone please take this opportunity to do that now let's bow our heads and pray Heavenly Father we thank you for this time we thank you for a grace that is beyond our understanding we thank you for forgiveness that is beyond our understanding Father may we not hold on to pride and let that get in the way or deceit, or lies. May we humble ourselves before you. May we seek your healing because you offer healing. Father, we come to the communion table this morning, each and every one of us, knowing that we are not worthy to even be in your presence. Your word says that you cannot look upon sin, and yet you sent your Son to come and walk with us and talk with us. And he went to the cross, Father. And when he went to the cross, he took upon himself the sin of all people. He said, bring it to me. I will offer you forgiveness to everybody who openly comes. Your word said that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that you raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. Father, if there's one here today that does not know you as Lord and Savior, I pray that this day they would take that step. And if that's you, you can do it with a... It starts with a simple prayer. It's the beginning step of the journey. And you can pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for forgiveness. I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. I need your wholeness in my life. 
Please come into my life and change me. Give me the faith to follow you. Father, as we share communion today, if there's someone that we need to offer forgiveness to, or someone that needs to offer forgiveness to us, I pray that we would show them the grace. And I pray that this day, Father, we would go to that person and say, listen, what I did was wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And do it unconditionally and completely. Father, thank you for your son. Thank you for his blood. Thank you for his body. At this time, please come down and take the juice, take the bread, take it back to your seat, and we will share communion together. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant. This is the new beginning. You don't have to keep sacrificing. When I forgive you, it is done. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ shed for you. Take and drink. Again, Father, I always feel that such a simple ceremony not enough. Father, may each one of us in our hearts come to you with an alabaster jar of perfume. May we pour out that which is so precious to us because what you give us is so precious to us. You give us freedom from guilt and sin. You give us forgiveness and there's nothing we can offer back to you that will repay what you have done except the simple words thank you in Jesus name Amen you may be seated thank you sir we have a tradition here at Lakeway uh, when we share communion together we take up a benevolence offering this is not your tithes and offerings in obedience to Jesus this is um, an offering that we take up to give to those who are in need. So as you leave today, if you've got some cash, there'll be a basket there. Is that one at the other door? Yes, yes Pam. Thank you. Uh, so please give generously. We are going to have a town hall meeting. So we'll give maybe five minutes or so, give people opportunity to, to do that and maybe go out in the foyer and visit for a minute. If you want to be part of the town hall meeting, just come back in here and we'll start in five minutes. Thank you all. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us online.